Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. You wouldn't be good. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to church. Um, I want to share um, some teaching from the from the Bible. I want to welcome um, specifically the Brown family. We're here to be part of their their uh, granddaughter's dedication. Um, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter four. This is one of my 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 a real favorite of mine. I'm talking about Jesus. My favorite topic: the center piece of all of creation and all of time. And um, I want to try to share with you a few of the things that Jesus is. I think one of the reasons that the angels, the cherubim, they go around the throne and they say, holy, 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 which is an imperative, continuous imperative, which means they continue to say, it's not just once. And I think that they are consistently seeing another dimension of a multi-dimensional, omni-dimensional God. And they see another part of him and they go, wow, holy. To me, the term holy is best defined as uncommon. If something is common, it's not holy. Our God is uncommon. There's none like him. He's un- uncomparable. His, and it says of his riches, they're unsearchable. So when we look at Jesus and his purpose um, this morning, I want to share two or three different aspects of who he is. And, um, and for me, um, I have found that sometimes I can disconnect who he is from what he does. Uh, I, I would hypothesize that any problem or any issue that you have with God is a perception problem. And that our image of God gets skewed many times. If you can't see him as loving, you won't relate to him as loving. And so when we connect his acts to his character, we'll find that he's absolutely consistent in everything that he does. And when we begin to understand his nature and his character, which is really revealed in his names, you'll find that it is absolutely impossible to him to function outside of his nature, which is always love. I love that I didn't know the worship set we're singing this morning, but these declarations of who Jesus is is really important for us. And, um, and I, I felt like the worship really confirmed what I want to share this morning. Um, who he is is revealed in, in his name. And so if your ideas or your opinions or your beliefs are contrary to how he's revealed in his names and in his word, then the only step for you to do is to repent, which means to change the way that you think. As we change the way that we think, we are actually transformed. That's a magnificent word, metamorphosis. You'll find if you watch a caterpillar become a butterfly, that actually there's nothing left of the caterpillar. It's complete butterfly now, a little hollow shell. You and I are much the same. There shouldn't be too much of that old man left hanging around. 
It's absorbed in the new creation. This is magnificent for me. So I want to just address this. One of my favorite titles of Jesus is a friend of sinners. That makes him, him and me on a first name basis. This um, passage in chapter uh, four just happens to take place right after Jesus has been through his temptation and his identity is being threatened. And um, he's just, he's been baptized, then put put through a little process in the desert. And um, and he said, it comes out saying this, and this is what I like to do. This is my method of preparing sermons. Um, He said that the scroll containing the message of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll to the place where it says, and what I do is I look through the scriptures and say, where is Jesus in this scripture? And here's what he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that blind will see, that downtrodden will be free from their oppressors and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The New King James says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. This one says appointed. It's the same, much the same, just a, just a hint different. Here's what's important in life is you find um, that you take a little time and discover why the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. You've all been appointed and anointed for a specific task on the earth. It's not just to feel warm and fuzzy when you worship. And I felt really warm and fuzzy this morning as I worshiped. So, you, so the Spirit of the Lord was upon him for six, Jesus, for six specific things. And I love these six specific things. Can I just say to us today that that's why the Spirit of the Lord is upon you and I as well, at least. To bring good news, to heal, to recover, to proclaim, to release, and then to actually proclaim, that word actually means to publish, the year of the Lord's favor. He's referring to the years of Jubilee where all debts are canceled. And, And this is a mission for you and I, as we are followers of Jesus, to go about proclaiming and declaring as well the same message, and then some. Jesus, the central figure, of Scripture, the central figure of all humanity. In the beginning was the Word. He, he was, and He is. Um, we love the Word of God. There's, there's over 120 different translations of the Bible. And each one of them, because and none of them are perfect, but they all have something for us to learn from. They have specific uh, cultural biases, For some of them, of course, written, King James Version was written in Victoria times. It has a certain doctrinal bias. It's got a certain lifestyle bias, actually. (laughs) The the translators, if they didn't translate the way that King James agreed with, they would be beheaded. There was a certain motivation to get it right. That was was terminal. (laughs) Um, But let me state again that every problem between God and man is a perception problem. You won't have faith to follow him if you can't see him as he really is. I used to have an old Volvo, and the more I knew about that Volvo, the less I trusted it. 1962. It had windshield. I had put a string on the windshield wipers that would go in and out each window like this. 
I hadn't thought of, and not, then I had to steer it with my knee <laughs> because my hands were full. As we get to know, if you knew him better, you would trust him more. Never had God been seen more clearly than in Jesus. This is a big theme for us. Jesus said this last week. I spoke about how when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There was no contradiction between what God was like and what Jesus was like. This is a wonderful and terrifying thought for us. Because as Jesus was, it says, as he is, so are we on the earth. So C.S. Lewis said this, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him or kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with a patronizing nonsense that his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. If he's a good teacher, you don't declare that you're deity. Unless you really are. Last week we looked at John chapter 14 and how Jesus came as the father. The Aramaic term is Abba. That he was El Shaddai, all powerful, was known among the people of that time. But to think that he was approachable and to think he was like a papa, that was a very, very radical thought. That he's, that he's powerful. Most would agree that God is, is powerful. The question is, how is he going to use his power? Will it be for good or will it be for evil? Because unfortunately in our culture, many times God gets blamed for doing evil things. <clears throat> so the question is, how would he use his power? That he is a loving father and that he protects and that he provides was a very radical thought at the time. Um, these six primary functions of Jesus, um, to preach, to heal, to proclaim, to recover, to release, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, this was part of his call, and it becomes part of our call as well on the, on the earth right now. This was his life message, and is seen throughout his, his time on earth. Um, let me try to share with you something that's complicated. Um, the term righteous and righteousness is kind of a, it's kind of a churchy sort of a term. So if we can unravel that and make it a little easier for us to understand, um, because Jesus is our righteousness. So Jesus as our righteousness, what does that mean and how does that work? You know, he was even called the king of righteousness, Melchizedek, king of righteousness. It's one of his terms. Did you know that part of your warfare is to have a breastplate of righteousness? Do you know how that works? You should, because we're in a battle. What's it mean to have a breastplate of righteousness? It's not, it's not a literal term, is it? <clears throat> what does it cover? It covers our heart. Your, your, if, as a follower of Christ, the, one of your primary uh, uh, defenses is to have a breastplate, to have your breast covered with righteousness. Righteousness, by definition, means as you should be, or as it should be. Adam was righteous because he was 
the whole package. He was righteous. It says of Abraham, because he believed God, he was counted righteous. You and I either have to choose between our righteousness or his righteousness. To be righteous means to be your best self as you were designed and created and meant to be, your highest self, the best you possible. Jesus came that you could be the best you possible. That's really good news. That's phenomenal news. Jesus, it says, for the kingdom of God in Romans 10 is not a matter of what you eat or drink. Many times we get told, well, this is what you need to do now. You need to eat and drink a certain way. He says, now the kingdom of God's not like that. I'm not here to tell you what you can eat or drink. I'm probably, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, that the keto diet is better than, I went on a diet for two weeks and lost 14 days. It was just a waste of time. <laughs> it's not a matter of what you eat. It's not a matter of what you drink. Certain foods and drinks that are better for you than other things. Do you agree? Yeah. <laughs> um, so he says that the, the kingdom of God is, is not a matter of eat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, um, that, that, that he said, uh, and, be, and, and that I might be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. You know, in Isaiah it says that your rightness, what you think is right, is like dirty rags. So how do I get the righteousness of Jesus functioning within me? Very simple, it's by faith. It's by faith. Do you believe that he was completely and totally righteous? If so, you're believing into him, not you acting, but you believing into him will release his righteousness in you as you should be, as you ought to be, the complete and highest and best self. That's a, that's a great thing. The question now doesn't become uh, for you and I, do I have enough faith to, to overcome this certain dysfunction. The question is, did Jesus overcome this dysfunction? And if so, as I believe into him, then I am now fine not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness is of faith. That's, that's, that's the revelation. Um, did Jesus overcome that mindset? Did Jesus overcome that addiction? Did Jesus overcome that lifestyle when he rose from the dead? If so, and I believe into him, it's now credited to me as righteousness. The second one I want to talk about is Jesus as our sacrifice. And, um, and um, uh, this is honestly an ongoing thing for me, you know, because I, as you read through the scripture, I read the whole, all the scriptures. And, um, and sometimes you feel like you get a different image of God from the Old Testament than what he's like in the New Testament. Here's what um, I want to say to you, because... It is said of men from the Old Testament, if you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, you'll find that they were all men of faith that are listed. They're men of faith. It wasn't because of their righteous acts. It was because what they did was by faith. Faith simply is another word for faith synonymous would be trust. It's trusting. So think about 
when you think about that. But what happened, so I'm here just to declare that the Old Testament is awesome. <laughs> because the author is awesome. But it's easy to read it with a hard heart rather than a soft heart. So here's what would happen. When we think of Jesus as our sacrifice, here's what would happen. Think of a priest, him functioning now in the temple or the tabernacle. And what they were meant to do is they were meant to bring a lamb or a goat. And what they would need to do is they would place their hands on the goat. And the sin that was in their life was to be transferred to the goat. And while the hands were on the goat, the priest would reach underneath the goat's neck and slit its throat. That's what happened. Just think what had to take place there because the priest would function like the Holy Spirit would function. He would look at the people who were coming and say, are they coming in faith believing that what they do when they put their hands on that goat is actually going to release them from bondages of sin? They would have to think that, am I right? You can't just come going ho-hum, chewing gum, and uh, just say, well, whatever. They would have came. Just think what would have happened on the night of the Passover, because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Just think what would have happened on the night of the Passover. Because here's what they were instructed to do. They were to kill a lamb, a spotless lamb. This is our picture of Jesus. He's our sacrifice. And they would, they would uh, go to the outsides of the doorposts, and they would apply blood to the doorposts. Let me ask any dad here, if that function was meant to save your firstborn child, would you do it casually? Would you just put a little, a little dabble do ya? Dated myself. Would you? Heck, I'm taking that bunch of branches and I'm slopping blood everywhere. Don't take the boy. The boy better hope I'm functioning in faith too. Do you hear what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? That the blood always had to be applied in faith. Here's what, you, you didn't do it casually. The scapegoat that ran away, you were temporarily relieved of a little bit of the pressure of sin. But Jesus didn't just cover our sin, he carried our sin. You see the difference? My sin was carried in his body on the cross. It wasn't covered for a moment. I am permanently forgiven. And what I'm doing is preaching good news. That's what I'm meant to do. It's bad news if it's only for a moment. If your sin is only dealt with on Sunday morning and before you get home, you're all messed up again. We didn't preach it properly. Okay. Third point. And then two illustrations, and I'll be done on time. Um, Jesus in action. Matthew chapter 5, he says it's one of the, the purpose Jesus came. Uh, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. I came to fulfill them, and I assure that even heaven and earth will disappear. I'm sorry, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest part of God's law will remain until its purpose is achieved. All, it's all good. <laughs> so if you break the smallest commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anybody who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, when it says I warn you, consider yourself warned. 
Unless you obey God better than the teachers and the religious law and the Pharisees do, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. We don't want to misunderstand why he came. He came to fulfill the law. Has anybody ever wondered why when you read through the Old Testament you don't come up against Pharisees? You ever wondered that? Or you all, you know why? Does everybody know why? That's a mystery to me. I said, read through the New Testament, those rascals are in every corner just causing problems. They're everywhere. And Jesus, like, he confronts, this is, he had the biggest issue with the religious, the self-righteous. This is his biggest issue. He didn't have a problem with harlots. He's a friend of sinners. He had an issue with those self-righteous ones. Why wasn't there any Pharisees in the Old Testament? Why weren't there any Sadducees? Where, where did they come from, those guys? The squinty-eyed, beady-eyed, narrow-minded, bigoted, bony-fingered people. Where did they come from? In between the Old and the New Testament, there's 400 silent years. In those 400 silent years, a sect rose up called Judaism. The Judaists were good, good people. And what they felt their role was, their role was to reinterpret the Old Testament and fit it into people's lives. So they were taking the Old Testament law and converting it into what to do every day. Jesus had a big issue with that because he was reducing his program to a set of rules. So Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. He says, when you look at me, you see the personification of the Old Testament. I am the tree of life. I am Jacob's ladder. I am access to heaven for you. That's who I am. I am the son of righteousness who has arisen with healing in his wings. That's who he is. He's all through the Old Testament. So what took place? Well, here's what, here's what would happen in, in, then is that they, they would uh, take the Old Testament scriptures and they translate them into what was known as the oral law. And many of them had it down to over a thousand different laws. Can you imagine? And so what, for the rest of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus would say this over and over. You have heard that the law of Moses says this, but I say unto you. Keep moving down, teaching on adultery. You have heard it said, don't do this, but I say unto you. You have heard it said. Where had they heard it said? They had not heard it said in the Old Testament. They'd heard it said from the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had taken the Old Testament law that was not translated into life and it wasn't translated in love and they'd taken it and made it into a whole bunch of laws that were onerous and burdensome and, and terrible. So he said, you've heard it said like this, you've heard it said like this, but I say unto you, what's he referring to? He's referring to all of these oral laws and the oral traditions. And it was said that Jesus said that you have made the word of God ineffective because of your traditions. That's what he was referring to. Okay. <clears throat> In Hebrews, it says that the law is written on our heart. I love that. Let me ask you this. Do you think God would ever have something evil written on our heart? Answer is no. It was good. Why? Because the Old Testament is good. It's the translation that took place through hard-hearted people that made it difficult for people to live in freedom. Let me give you two examples. Um, because he came to bring good news, heal, proclaim freedom, restore sight. Every encounter with Jesus changed people. It changed me. 
If you've had a true encounter with Jesus, your life has changed. Um, <clears throat> I want to look at two examples. The, the first one is taken from John chapter 8. And I'll, I'm going to summarize. I've titled uh, chapter 8, um, verses 1 to 11. I've titled this Sex in the City. Uh, a woman was found taken in idolatry, or sorry, adultery. Um, that's with somebody else's wife. Fornication is just, you know, bad stuff, but this is, yeah, adultery. Um, and so she's brought before Jesus. Uh, air quotes, she's brought before God. What's he going to do? Because this was a trap, right? That's why this, the Pharisees, and they'd written there, they'd interpreted the law a certain way, and Jesus was now embodying what that meant. So she's taken, and she's brought in front of a crowd. As he was speaking, they brought, brought her in front of the crowd. Teacher, this woman was caught in a very act of adultery. Uh, of course, it takes two people. Why isn't, where's the guy? Of course. What are they trying to do? They're trying to trap Jesus with one who has already been trapped. They're using the woman as bait. Let me just say one of the things that, that our heavenly daddy does. He elevates the position of women. They were living in a time when women were second class. They were seen the same as slaves. They were oppressed. They didn't have a voice. They weren't even allowed to go to school. What's Jesus doing? Because they'd interpreted the law where women were second class. But what does God do? Here's what the Son of God does. He's saying, this woman right here that you're trying to demean and devalue, I think differently of her. This is a big issue, this gender issue. I just want to say God doesn't have any issues with gender. He created them male and female. He said it's good. So he said they were trying to trap him. So they used it against him. He stooped down. He wrote in the finger. He wrote in the dust with his finger. Uh, that's all hypotheses. Nobody knows what he was writing in the dirt. Nobody knows. Some would assume that it's the, the man because in Deuteronomy 25 or 22, it says that if they're caught in adultery, both the husband and the wife or the man and the woman are both to be stoned. It wasn't the issue. The adultery wasn't the issue. Here was the issue. It was about women. Well, they, why? Because they just brought the woman. How is he going to treat a woman? You want to know how God treats a woman? He values her. He cherishes her. He treats her like she's special. Anything, any, any gospel that doesn't elevate the position and the place of womanhood is a lie. What does he do? He elevates her. I, I, here's what I love. I think Jesus still writes in the dust. He wrote on me. I'm made of dust. You wonder what he was writing. Nobody knows. But she's trapped. The Pharisees were wanting to enforce their bias towards women. But Jesus, the liberator, comes forth with the exact motive and perspective of the Father. That's what he does. He's always motivated by love. And he's always inter interested in the highest and the best version of you. And he turns to them and he says, woman, where is your accusers? You want to know what God is saying? Here's a word of the Lord for somebody today. You've been living, feeling accused. Here's what the Lord says to you. Where are your accusers? He says the same thing to you. It, here's what God is saying to his people today. Where are your accusers? And then he says, neither do I condemn thee. Do you want to know what God's doing today? He's not condemning anyone. Here's what he's extending his heart of love towards every human being. Neither do I condemn thee. What is he doing? He's fulfilling his mandate of preaching good news to the poor, those who will listen. 
You want to know that this woman at that moment was instantly healed of all of her identity issues. Because once she was finally identified as someone who has value, she was not treated according to what her behavior was. He's not downplaying the behavior. He says, go and sin no more. But what he's saying is that you are just the way you are. I'm not accusing you. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to condemn you like you think all of the religious leaders are doing. But I'm going to value you and I'm going to lift you up. This is what God thinks of women. Can tell, is, anybody, is there any women happy about that? <laughs> Me too. Neither do I. This is God. He brought good news, heals the heart, and declares freedom. Don't, don't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What a, what a wonderful releasing free. He's just declared to her the favor of the Lord. You are now able to enter into the favor of the Lord. John, uh, Luke chapter 7, another uh, s- scenario. When you read through this, I've been through this a dozen times this week, and every time I see another jewel, it's this woman, she's another prostitute. And um, of course she didn't start off her life that way. Life just ended up being that way for her. Effectively she's trapped. And Jesus was always a liberator. How he liberates sometimes is controversial. But he came to this woman and he, liber- and he liberates her as well. You should, one of the most interesting passages in Luke chapter 7 is verse uh, 47, where it says, this woman whose sins were many. He's, he's, he's making a point. And it says that, I, I found it confusing when it says he stood, she stood behind him and washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. But you know, we didn't, we didn't have uh, tables like we do now. Back in first century Palestine, they had tables where they would recline. Typically they'd lean on their left uh, arm and well, that, I guess that would be left <laughs> and eat with your right. That's what they would do. And so what was she doing? She came up behind him. It says that she was behind him. How are you behind him and are able to wash his feet? Well, he's laid out like this and she's behind him. Well, you might wonder, how did she get access to the house? You know, in those days they didn't have doors like we do where we lock them all up. You could actually come and go from a banquet and listen to what people were saying and you could listen in on the stories and hopefully like where people had something interesting to say, you could learn some stuff and you were able to sit, stand around outside in the outer court around the table. You probably couldn't eat. She wasn't interested in eating. She was interested in worshiping. She said, this man, I hope you know that many women have much more spiritual discernment than men. I hope you've realized that, man. So silent. I'm just learning, but you should learn that. She comes up behind him, he's reclining, and she starts to wash his feet. Some would think that, as, of course, she's an immoral woman, and the question, the guys say, well, if he was a prophet, he'd at least know who's touching his feet. They were questioning who he was again, once again. But here's what he says. Let me come to a conclusion here, because he's liberating her. He's liberating her. She said, your sins that were many, and at the end he says, your sins are forgiven. He didn't, you know... So, so is that how we get our sins forgiven? By crying on Jesus' feet? No, she's not, he's not saying that. He's saying the way that she came at him was the fulfillment. He said, I understand you're coming with a heart of love. That's what the, that's what the gospel was meant to do, was release, release a greater dimension of love. And she comes and he says, your sins that were many uh, are forgiven. The men at the table among them, who does this man think he is? And then he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She had never known the shalom of God before wholeness. 
So not only did he declare healing, he ministered the word to her. Here was peace personified, declaring over her the wholeness and the shalom, the prosperity and the provision and the beauty of all that you were meant to be. Now you can go and in a, an entirely different dimension. Whenever, whenever we come to God and we come in faith, if we come in faith and he meets us, you will leave feeling this absolute love. You will feel leaving no condemnation. You will feel like you're seeing different because he restores sight. You will feel, leave feeling like I'm freer than I've ever been before. And you'll be able to leave and declare this whole year is gonna be great. Stand to your feet. I, I did that in a record 25 minutes. I'd, that was the good news. I love preaching about Jesus. He is the good news. If you came this morning and feeling heavy, you're feeling guilty, you're feeling condemned, you're feeling accused, you're feeling captive. It's a very simple process. It's absolutely profound. If you're feeling that life is not the way it should be, righteous, because you can't seem to see it the way it's meant to be, you've been blinded by a dimension of religion that's kept you restricted and locked in a prison of duty and rules. Jesus comes today as the liberator. And by his spirit, if you'll accept what he's given you by faith, you will leave a different person. Would you just bow your heads with me as I pray? Lord, in moments like this, when your word has been proclaimed, you said that you would confirm your word with signs following. So I'm taking you at your word to liberate <clears throat> men and women this morning, specifically women, from broken, religious, dysfunctional uh, images of who they are and who you think they are. Today, I declare favor and freedom in the hearts of women who have felt a little bit second class, who felt maybe I'm gonna defer to the quote, head of the house. I'm going to just be silent when you have called them to speak up. You've called them to act out their faith that who can do this better than this noble gender known as women. Father, I declare freedom over women's hearts and minds this morning. You always gave them a place and I ask for forgiveness where your church and your leaders have minimized both their voice, their contribution, and their discernment. Lord, these stories remind us not of women who are perfect, but women who function within the spirit of freedom and the spirit that requires great courage because you've intended them to do great things on the earth. Lord, we declare that these lionesses that are in this room today would find great freedom in getting a fresh image and receiving a fresh image. Lord, I command the chains and the shackles and the lies of oppression over their minds today to be broken and snapped in the name of Jesus. Now, just keeping our, in this place, when, I, when, when, when chains break, I hear crackles in my ears. I hear crackles. That chains are snapping. 
And the Father, as you've declared freedom to the captive, I ask now that you'd minister this massive wave of your love to hold them steady in this place of freedom. Lord, this is a day of freedom. This is a year of freedom. There's some that have said, I can't live under this yoke of oppression any longer. Well, you don't need to. Today, the yoke's been lifted. Father, I pray for a fresh revelation of who you are for your daughters in this house today. I pray for a fresh revelation of your presence, Lord, to surround them and hold them. I pray for a fresh revelation of this word, where is your accusers, neither do I condemn thee. God, we lift the mantle, we lift the heaviness of oppression and, and depression off the minds and hearts of men and women today. And I declare freedom in your house, O oh Lord. God, I thank you that we can dance, Lord, that we can sing and that we can celebrate your goodness, Lord, because you, you, you release songs of deliverance over your people. Father, I thank you that prison doors can be swept open right now that men and women can walk free. Father, today I pray as we leave, we would leave filled with hope, filled with joy, filled with great purpose. Father, I bless your body, Lord, to hear your voice and to walk in liberty. And from this day forward, Lord, we will declare your good news. We will open eyes of the blind. We will declare the, the year of favor of the Lord. And we will thank you from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Through those doors walk free men and women. If If you're feeling heavy this morning, we got prayer teams that are here to pray for you. If you're feeling you need a little extra prayer, if you're feeling something needs to be broken, I'll just invite the prayer team to come. God bless you, everybody. Thank you for being in church. If you'd like to, this is a perfect time to receive prayer. God bless you. You're released. Go and change your world.